Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the weekly podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Today, we are continuing a message we started last week on the prayer life of Paul. Today, Pastor Roy will be looking at Paul's prayer life and how we can learn from his example as we continue in our series called Portraits of Prayer. We encourage you to open up your Bibles to Ephesians and follow along with Pastor Roy as he looks at Paul, a man of power. And I'm glad that you are here to worship with us this morning. Today we're continuing our series of portraits of people who pray. And if you open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, Lorena read for us a few moments ago about Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 20, 21. As you're turning there, I'm going to just briefly revisit what we talked a little bit about last week. We talked about Paul's power came through prayer. And indeed, that's what's going to happen for us as a church. The power of God will be expended as we spend time before the throne of grace. Ephesians 3.16, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power. And we know that God has all riches. Um, He says that he will strengthen us according to his riches in glory. And he has all the riches. Paul's posture was one of kneeling, his submission, his humility before God, his recognition of God and adoring him and worshiping him. Often Jews would stand when they prayed, but This showed an earnestness in Paul's prayer life. Also, Paul was committed to praying for the church. We need to commit to praying for one another. Intercessory prayer is vital, and we need to be involved in intercessory prayer. Paul's address in prayer was to the Father, the glorious Father. Um, He is the one we are praying to, the God of heaven and earth. The Bible says of whom... The whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name in verse 15. Paul also prays regularly for fellow believers. We see this not only here in Ephesians, but we see it in all of his letters to the churches. He would even name individuals that he would be praying for. What an example to us. Today we're going to focus on three prayer requests Paul prays for the Ephesian believers. These prayer requests should be prayers that we pray For one another. And oftentimes we do pray. We pray for physical needs a lot, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think we need to uh, and be encouraged to do that. Uh, We need to pray for our Supreme Court and things like that. In fact, you got a letter in your box uh, this morning that says at the bottom, sample copy. It's a letter that I typed up, and um, I sent off uh, nine letters um, this week to our Supreme Court justices addressing each one of them individually. We need to, you need to send them off as well, and I encourage you to take that letter, edit it if you need to, but to encourage them to uphold the biblical definition of marriage. It is vital that we pray. It will be a miracle for our Supreme Court to do that, but we need to pray that God will do that. Um, there is power in prayer, and we need to pray for our country desperately. Here are three prayer requests that Paul gives. And actually, right before I give those, let me um, say this. 
Um, some of you will recognize the name Guy Dowd. He was a school teacher from Minnesota. And I think just the fact that he was willing to teach in Minnesota, he should probably get an award. Um, it reminded me of the guy who had a farm uh, on the Minnesota-South Dakota border. And there was argument between the two states as to which state he really belonged to. And this lasted for a number of years. And they, they were arguing back and forth. Is he in Minnesota or is he in South Dakota? Minnesota, South Dakota. Finally, they determined he was in South Dakota. And so the zoning commission went and visited him and said, your property is in South Dakota. We get your tax money. And he said, that's fine with me. He said, you know, he said, I've been wanting to move out of Minnesota for a long time. So he finally got to where he needed to be. But Guy Dowd was the National Teacher of the Year in 1986. One of his practices that he practiced daily, his routine, was to walk into his classroom. And when he walked into his classroom, he not only prayed for his students, he sat down in their desk and prayed for that individual who was going to come into that classroom and sit in that desk that particular day. And if you know anything about being around a group of teenagers in a high school, uh, you can find some very unloving, difficult children, teenagers who come from difficult homes. And not only did God change the hearts of some of those students, but God changed the heart of a teacher. And that is one of the powers of prayer, is God not only changes the people we pray for, but he changes the prayer, the intercessor. And that's what needs to happen. And, and as we pray for folks, God's going to change our hearts as well. And so what were these prayer requests that Paul prayed? The first request is that God would strengthen them with power. What a great prayer request. Do we pray like that, that God would strengthen people with power? Here he recognized these were new Gentile converts to Christianity who are still not grounded in their faith. They do not have an understanding of all they have in Christ. And so we see really three main concerns that Paul prays for, uh, for the Ephesian believers. And here they are, and then we're going to talk about them just a little bit. The instability of their faith. They were not yet grounded in their faith, so Paul is praying that their faith will become strong in the Lord. Secondly, the uncertainty of their identity. And thirdly, their immaturity in grasping God's love. If people will grasp faith in God, if we will grasp our identity of who we are in God, if we will grasp the immense love of God, we will really have a church that embraces and reflects the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing was the instability of their faith. Notice he says in Ephesians 4.14, he says, when we become grounded in the faith, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Notice he says, no longer infants. He wants them to grow up in their faith and become mature in their faith. It is vital. And how does that happen when you and I get on our knees before God in prayer and we trust him and we begin to pray in faith and trust the Lord? 
the instability of their faith. Some people have been in church for years, and the maturity level of their faith is no deeper than the first few months they were saved. And that's a tragedy. They act the same way, they talk the same way, they pray the same way, and they have no deeper faith and trust in the Lord. They don't serve in the church. They come in on Sunday morning, and as soon as the service is over, they leave, and they come in at the last minute, and there's no life change whatsoever. They are infants if they're even saved. Because <laughs> I would even question whether or not they even know the Lord. Because there ought to be a growth in the Lord. And so growing from infancy to adulthood in our faith, Paul is wanting them to become secure in their faith. And that happens as we get on our knees in prayer. Paul expressed this same idea in 1 Corinthians 3 when he says, Brothers, to the Corinthian church, I could not address you as spiritual but as worldly. Mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for some of you were not ready for it yet. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? When you have a church full of arguing and bitterness and jealousy and all that stuff kind of going on, you have a church that is not operating in faith and trusting the Lord. And you also have a church that will not grow and will stay immature. The stability of our faith as we cry out to the Lord in prayer, it brings people together in faith and there's a unity that comes with that. And there's going to be some other things that come with that too that we're going to talk about in a moment. The instability of their faith is a result of their lack of knowledge about Christ. They do not yet understand all the blessings they have in Christ. And we won't take the time to read it, but if you go home and you read the first chapter of Ephesians, he talks about every spiritual blessing we have in Christ. And when we understand that, our faith will grow and will be what God wants us to be. They do not yet understand that through the power of the cross that God has abolished all the barriers between Jews and Gentiles. Remember, there were Jews and Gentiles in the church. And sometimes those barriers cause division in a body. We should be able to have people in here rich, poor, young, old, educated, uneducated, Korean, Hispanic, Caucasian, and come together in a spirit of worship because of our faith in God, the common bond of faith. And that will happen as we pray and seek the Lord. The second thing was their uncertainty of their identity. They did not yet understand who they were in Christ and all the things that God had provided for them. That they were adopted as sons of God. When we understand who we are, so many people run around, they're trying to figure out, who am I? What am I supposed to be doing right now? And they look to the culture and they look to somebody else to tell them what to do and what, who they're supposed to be and to define who they are. Our identity comes from Christ in Christ alone and what he has supplied for us. We need to understand who we are in Christ, how vital that is. Thirdly, their immaturity of grasping God's love. They did not yet grasp God's love for them. And if we look back in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18, what does Paul pray? 
that we may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. When we begin to grasp God's love for us, we will be all that God wants us to be. So Paul's prayer request is that God would strengthen them And now we're going to go on with power, where? In their inner being. In their inner being. And then he goes on to say, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Where did Paul's power come from? It came through God's spirit. And that's what he recognized. It came through the spirit of God. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power. How? Through his spirit in your inner being. And what did Paul see? Paul had personally experienced God's power in his preaching. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 2. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but what? With the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. It is the power of God, he said, that changed you from darkness to light. It is the power of God that changed you from being an unbeliever to becoming a believer in Jesus Christ. It was not through my intellectual intelligence. It was not through my polished message. It was through the power and the spirit of God that changed you. My ability to witness for the gospel comes when I receive the Holy Spirit of God. Paul was concerned that they would be strengthened and experience God's power in their inner being. We saw that, in their inner being. Why did he want them to have that in their inner being? Because that is where the battle is. It's on the inside. Where does temptation start? Where does it start? In the inside. Where does jealousy and bitterness and unforgiveness, where does all that stuff start from? On the inside. So where is the battle? It's on the inside. So Paul is saying, I want you to be strengthened on the inside so that you don't be consumed with jealousy and bitterness and unforgiveness and all these things that bring division into a church. That you will be strengthened by the Spirit of God in your inner being so that in your inner being you will be godly. What do we see on the news over and over? We see politicians and people in government. It comes out that they had this secret sin for years, maybe even decades, and all of a sudden it comes out. And it didn't just happen last week. Why? Because they had a problem in their inner being. They had a struggle in their inner being that they never converted over to Christianity and gave to God. And sometimes we see people who have professions of faith, who profess to be a Christian, And then it comes out that they have this addiction or some form of satanic control in their life. It's because they never fully surrendered their life to the Lord. 
Paul prays that in their inner being, they will experience the power of God. That's where I need it. Because that's where the battle is won and lost. That's where victory or defeat is going to happen in my life. And in your life as well. It's in our inner being. He wants them to possess a genuine faith and have a sense of identity and take their cues from Christ and not from the crowd. Paul had experienced this power in his preaching. Believers experience God's power when we receive the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit when we were born again. And that's when we receive the power of God that can help us in our inner being. You can't just turn over a new leaf. You have to receive a new life. And that new life is in Christ. And that's why he said, if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. God gives us a new life through the spirit of the living God. We are transformed from deadness to life through God. He tells us even in Ephesians chapter 2, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live, but it was the Spirit of God that regenerated them to new life. And He's the one that regenerates us as well. And when we have the Holy Spirit, here's what it says. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We will be witnesses because the Holy Spirit is a witness on behalf of Jesus Christ. And if I have the Holy Spirit in me, I will be a witness for Jesus Christ. And he will empower me to do it. Do I ever have fear in witnessing? Yes. How much? Lots. <laughs> How about you? Do you ever get afraid? Is it difficult? Absolutely. But what do we do? We pray, God, give me courage. God, give me boldness. The reason I have been able to even share with my neighbor says, God, I need your power. I need your strength to be able to share the love of Jesus Christ to my neighbor who's lost. And it's my passion for him that he would know Jesus that drives out the fear. And God can give that to us if we're willing and notice what it says here in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are reminded that God's Spirit will empower us to do what we need to do, to live the Christian life. I can't live the Christian life without the Spirit of God empowering me. It's impossible, and neither can you. It requires the power of of God in us. When this happens, when I experience the all-surpassing power of God in my life, and you experience the all-surpassing power of God in your life, God becomes visible to a watching world. That's what I like. God becomes visible. He's the one that takes the platform. He's the one that takes the stage. And all of a sudden, people begin to recognize something about us that's different. Not for our sake, for Jesus' sake. Let me give you some examples. God became visible to a watching world through Gideon who was so scared to do what God wanted him to do. He was hiding in a wine press. He was so scared. 
And God used him to defeat the Midianites. And God's power was unleashed through Gideon's obedience. How about David? God strengthened David to defeat Goliath. Because he trusted God, God's power was unleashed and allowed David, a teenager, to do what he could not do because he trusted God. I think of Moses who went to confront Pharaoh, who felt totally inadequate and says, I'm not eloquent in speech. I can't do this. And God strengthened him to go to the most powerful person on the planet and tell him, let my people go. And God's power was unleashed through ten plagues that were brought on Egypt and God's people were let go. (laughs) Why? Because Pharaoh's had God, I mean, Moses had God's spirit and God's power was unleashed through his obedience and faith and trust in God. God strengthened Nehemiah to do what only seemed like an impossible task and he unleashed his power to protect his people from the enemies when he was willing to take a stand and strengthen them for the task of rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. So the first prayer request is that God would strengthen us in our inner being. That's what we need to pray for one another. That's what I would like you to pray for me, and that's what I need to pray for you, is that you would be strengthened in your inner being to overcome temptation. The second request is that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith. Dwell. Let's talk about that word dwell for a moment. Dwell, it means to take up permanent residence. It doesn't mean for God to move in and out of our lives. Oh, I'll take him on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. (laughs) Uh, No, he is to reside in us 24-7 and by faith. Because why? Why do we need him inside? Because that's where the struggle is. That's where the fight is. That's where the battle is in our inner being. We need Christ in our hearts by faith. What does he mean in our heart? I'm not talking about the physical thing that pumps blood. I'm talking about that part of us that controls our decisions, that controls our will. That's where we need Christ. At the center of my affections is Christ the affection of my heart. Is Christ the affection of your heart? That's what he, where he needs to dwell, where my affection, where my passion, where my decisions, where my will is. That's where Christ needs to dwell permanently in my life. That my past, my present, my future is under the lordship and rulership of Christ. You said even your past? Yes. The past goes under the blood. Some of us have pasts that we would like to absolutely erase and forget. You know what? If you've given your life to Christ, it is under the blood and it is forgotten. (laughs) Praise God. Some of you have a past that has not been erased and washed by the blood because you haven't given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ does not live inside of you. He is not a part of you. And therefore, you are none of his. And you are yet dead in your sin and under the guilt and condemnation of your sin and Christ does not dwell in your heart by faith until you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And until you do that, you will be under that guilt and you will be under that condemnation until you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I invite you to do that this very morning. 
if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. That's the first step. You will be powerless in your life apart from Jesus Christ. Absolutely powerless. The enemy will have his way and he will dominate you and control you until you give your life to Jesus Christ. He is to dwell in our hearts because that's the center. Let me remind us of something too. Christ never barges his way into our life like some belligerent bully. He doesn't do that. He has given us a free will. He has given us the power to choose. And if he is not going to barge his way into our life and say, you know what? I'm coming into your life whether you want me in there or not. No. He will not do that. He will not come into you that way. He has to be welcomed and invited in to our life. And I would encourage you to do that if you don't know Jesus Christ. He needs permission. Paul says, he prays this for the Colossians, my purpose for the Colossians is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Why is that important? Because this Christ who is to dwell in my heart by faith has all the wisdom and knowledge I need for life. Because <laughs> life can get pretty confusing. There's a lot of decisions that I have to make. Do I go this way or do I go this way? Do I do this or that? And God is able to direct us with wisdom and knowledge when we seek him. Parents, do you need wisdom in raising your children? Oh, do we need wisdom? Where does it come from? From me? From Dr. Phil? <laughs> Better come from the Lord. Better come from his word. God is willing to do that for us if we're willing to seek him in that way. The knowledge of God is wrapped up in the person of Christ. If we want to know God, we need to have Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith. Jesus is the wisdom and revelation of God. Notice it says by faith. He is to dwell in our hearts by faith. He says in Colossians 2.6, so, so then, just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Strengthened in the faith. Strengthened by the Spirit of God in our lives. Rooted and established in love. He gives a botanical and an architectural idea. Rooted is the idea of a tall plant that grows deep roots. And those deep roots give stability and life to that plant buried in the soil of God. And the architectural design is an idea of a large building that has been dug deep and the foundation is on solid rock. And that's what we have when we're in Christ. That's what he's wanting these Gentile believers and these Jews to understand as new believers in Christ that you need to have Christ in your hearts to dwell there by faith in Christ. 
And he is then going to be there for you to help you and strengthen you. Romans 8.35, he reminds them of his love as well. Actually, right before I read that, look at verse 17 again. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now listen carefully. This is not just for individuals. This is for a corporate body of believers. He says that they would have power together with all the saints, Jews as well as Gentiles. God has a message for the church. And if we will, as a body of corporate body of believers, we need to pray that we will have a greater comprehension of the love of God. That's what he wants us to pray for, that we will have a greater comprehension of God's love in our lives. Because God's love is powerful. It's the only thing that can transform a human heart is the love of God when it comes inside of a person. And notice what he says here in Romans 8.35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. How? Through him who loved us. Nothing can separate us from God's love. That's how powerful God's love is. We can be separated from almost everything else on the face of the globe. We cannot be separated from God's love. I find great security in that. You can't take God's love away from me. I can't take God's love away from you. God loves us with an everlasting love. There's great security in that. And when we embrace that and we understand that, that means when somebody comes in the door and they've got maybe tattoos on their arms or body piercing or they don't smell right or they don't look right, guess what? I can give them a hug. Why? Because I have the love of Christ. As a matter of fact, the love of Christ will not just embrace them. The love of Christ will go out of their way to embrace them. Absolutely go out of your way. Because what happens is the love of Christ is wide. It's high. It's deep. It's greater than anything. And we go out of our way to be channels that we sang about this morning of that love. I don't just have four or five friends, and that's the only people I'm going to talk to at Bethesda Church. And every Sunday, I hang out with those four or five people, and my circle is not any bigger than those four or five. Shame on you. Shame on me, if that's all the bigger my circle is, because God's love is a whole lot bigger than that. And there's going to be some people to Super Summer Jam that may not look like us and talk like us and act like us, but the love of Christ will embrace them. And not only embrace them, it goes out of their way to embrace them. That's the kind of church Paul was praying for in Ephesus, and that's the kind of church God wants in Huron, South Dakota. Bethesda Church, to be a church that is all-embracive. 
We love the sinner to Christ. And that's what Paul was looking for, that they would have such a deep love for one another. Somebody has a need, that need is met. I'll tell you, my heart was warm just hearing, I, I know I've heard of different stories of people that have reached out to our Korean community. We had a note in the bulletin of people who had a need in our Korean community. And some of you have given beds and furniture and things like that. Those are tangible ways to express your love. Others of you picked it up and took it to them. Thank you. That's a tangible way to make God visible in our community. That's what God calls the church to do and to be. And that's what he wants us to be, I'm convinced. Remember the fruits of the Spirit that Paul lists in Galatians? What's the first one? The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Love. That's the one God wants us to have. It's, like the, it's the one that all the rest of the fruit seem to hang from. Bill Bright, some of you remember Bill Bright. He was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, which is now called Crew. He wrote an article on the supernatural love of God. And here was his own personal testimony. He said, because of that great love which draws me to him and causes me to want to please him and to love him in return, he said, I learned how to love supernaturally. He said, in more than 30 years of counseling thousands of people, listen, about interpersonal conflicts, he says, I do not know of a single problem that could not have been resolved if those involved had been willing to accept and respond to God's love to them, for them, God's love for them, and to love others as an act of the will by faith as God commands. He said he could not think of one single incidence where a conflict could not have been resolved if they would have embraced the love of God. And I can't either. That's how powerful God's love is. He said, such a statement may sound simplistic and exaggerated. He said, yet I make it after carefully reviewing in my mind all kinds of conflicts between husbands and wives, parents and children, neighbors, friends, and enemies. God's love can overcome all that. What does he say? In verse 18, that we as the body of Christ may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He is saying, I want you as the church to have the mental capacity to grasp in a greater way the extent of God's love. He's saying we don't even have the ability humanly to comprehend the love of God without the Spirit of God showing that to us. And so I think one of the prayer requests we need to pray is, God, reveal your love to me in a greater way because I don't know it. And you don't either. And we will come to a deeper understanding of God's love as we pray and ask him for it. 
Paul is praying for a spiritual discernment to comprehend the love of Christ by experiencing his love as a body of believers. And he said this love knows no boundaries. It is measureless. It is beyond description that you cannot calculate the love of God. It's impossible. It cannot be diminished in its dimension or reduced in its size. There's no benchmark, no criterion, no standard by which to measure the love of God. It's immeasurable. Hallelujah. And his love can reach you, and it can reach me. Let's look at this last one. Ephesians 3.18, we just read that. Third request, that they might be filled up to all the fullness of God. He does not want us to live empty, defeated, mediocre lives. He wants us to be full of the Spirit of God, full of the love of God that dwells in our hearts by faith, filled with the power of God by His Spirit in us. I can't love somebody that's unlovable, but you know what? The Spirit of God through me can. I can't love certain, but the Spirit of God through me can. (laughs) This person over here that irritates me by the power of the Spirit of God, I can love them. That I would be filled with all the fullness of God. What's he saying? That you and I might come to full maturity and understanding of all we have in Christ. That's what he's asking for. He tells us in Ephesians 4.13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's what he longs for, for his church to be a complete bride, for us to have full understanding, not just so we can shout out verses I've memorized and get a patch and a wana. No, So I can be a channel through which his grace can flow to others. His love, his mercy. Here's what he says in Colossians. Well, actually, I don't have that verse on here. Let me just read it to you here. Colossians 1.26. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generation, but is now disclosed to the saints. Notice it was a mystery that was kept hidden and is now revealed. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. What is it? He said, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ, fully mature. Those of you who have not grown in your faith, God's not where God wants you. He doesn't want you running out the door as soon as church is over. You are missing the love of God when you do that. You are missing the blessing of God. You are being cheated by the enemy. You're missing it. You are not a part of the body. You are not experiencing the love of Christ. You have fears in you. That's why you do that. You know what? God wants you to experience his love so you overcome your fear. God wants you to overcome that lack of love, 
that lack of involvement. Some of you run with the wrong people. That's why you run out of here. You don't want to be around those crazy Christians. What do you want to be around those people for? Because you run around with worldly people all week long, and you come here, and you're uncomfortable because you're in your sin. God wants to deliver you out of your sin. And no, you won't be comfortable in church in your sin because the Spirit of God is here convicting you of your sin and wants you to come to Christ. And that is my prayer. Don't stay defeated. Give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to know Him. Two things. It's a gradual work. We do not become filled with all the fullness of God overnight. I've been a Christian over 40 years, and I'm still not full. <laughs> it's a gradual work to be filled with the fullness of Christ. The discipleship process is slow and sometimes painful. It can be like three steps forward and two steps backward. And I'll tell you, it can be a discouraging, too, because I have worked with numbers of people where I started through a discipleship process with them, and we made it through two or three meetings, and they were done. That was it. And there was no more hunger, no more appetite, no more desire to walk with the Lord. And that's a tragedy. Because that person walks out and lives a defeated life and is not a successful Christian. God is looking to make us successful Christians, and he says to make us mature in Christ and it's a gradual work and the second one is is it's a continual work he is continually at work in me cutting away the rough edges through my family through my wife through my children through people in the church through difficulty God is continually chipping away the pieces in the rough edges of my life that I might be conformed to his image, that I might experience the love of Christ in a deeper way. Let's stand for a word of prayer. As you bow your heads and close your eyes, what does God want to do for Bethesda Church? He wants to strengthen us by his spirit in our inner being. He wants to indwell us in our hearts, Christ to dwell in us by faith. He wants us to be rooted in the love of God. He wants us to comprehend the love of Christ. And he wants us to be filled with the fullness of God. It's a lifelong process. Some of you have chosen to live in disobedience. You're not willing to go through the process. Some of you have not even begun the process. You're lost. And if God was to call you home today, you would be lost without Christ forever. I want to challenge you to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin. He paid the penalty. And the only thing that will wash away your sin is the blood of Christ. That's why he died for you and died for me. 
that we might have life. Would you be willing to move from death to life, from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God? I invite you to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you need someone to pray with you, I will be available shaking hands at the back door today. And I invite you to give your life to Christ, and I'll be glad to pray with you about that. Where are you at in your prayer life with these requests? We need as a church to pray that God would strengthen us by his spirit. And God would give us corporate strength. That's why you hear me pray about this corporate prayer meeting because there's such a power in this corporate aspect of the church that I think we have lost in our culture. And we've lost it because we're too busy. <laughs> we are too busy. There are things that are less important that crowd it out. And I guess as long as God continues to burden my heart, I'm going to preach against it. <laughs> I want us to experience Christ in our hearts by faith and be strengthened by his spirit in our inner being. I want us to grow in maturity that we might grow into the fullness of God. Maybe there is an area in your life internally that you haven't given to the Lord. Maybe it's a secret sin. Maybe it's an addiction that you have not given to the Lord and you have tried to win it over in your own strength and your own power. Today's the day of salvation. And I invite you to give it to God today. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.